Hi. In case you're not from Brazil, where we are now very famous, allow us to introduce ourselves. We're Cam. All Canada division that is Canada. <laughs> the all Canada. Chris. You trade those John, two guys John. for a clone machine, and you clone Trent Frederick, and you have a whole fourth line of Trent Fredericks. And Drew. Didn't they? Didn't he drop a? Sh not not like actually take a, sh but the guy said. Sh Our podcast kind of. Uh, definitely started out as a joke and we've decided to keep it that way but that's why we surround ourselves with smart people who really know what they're talking about game and a half that she played she looked so dominant and just such a good like good spot on this team and uh, he'll take off in terms of being more active in the oak zone and, and you know be more active in the transition game because there is so much involved with technical development and physical development and injuries that can really impact it so so tune in the Bruins and Bruins, 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 Bruins podcast, the, the hockey podcast network podcast, presented by Bruins Diehard. Sixty-eight teams started the tournament. Only the best have survived. From Oral Roberts making it all the way to the Sweet Sixteen to the Pac-12 Conference dominating the tournament, there has been a boatload of craziness in this year's March Madness. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. This, my friends, is a great, great deal. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry, if college basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook offers daily odds, boosts on pro basketball, hockey, golf, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $1 hundred dollars if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the victory that's code thpn to turn one dollar into one hundred dollars for a limited time only at DraftKings sportsbook must be 21 or older new jersey indiana or pennsylvania only new customers only restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in indiana 109 with IT. Welcome right. to New York. Attention fans, this is the Devil's State of Mind podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Now here's your host, Neil Villapiano! Devil's fans, it is your host, Neil Villapiano. Holy crap, what a weekend. Hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. As you can see, from my tone of voice, I am super pumped up because I'm literally recording this episode a half hour after the Devils game against Boston. And that was the most stressful, emotional, positive ending game I think we have seen all season long. And once again, it's against those Boston Bruins. There were a couple other games as well that happened this past week that we'll talk about. And, uh, 
we'll just try to, you know, for the most part, just skip through it. But we're still going to talk about them. We're going to talk about, obviously, the game against Boston. And we are going to finish up with giving you guys a quick Binghamton Devils update. So we have a bunch to talk about here on this episode. So let's not waste any more time. And as I always say, let's drop the puck. So we'll start with the Devils game back on Thursday, the 25th against the Capitals. It was the first of back-to-back against the Capitals. And I remember thinking to myself, and I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but I realized obviously that the Devils were not going to be playing on Saturday, which I think that might be the first time all season that the Devils are not playing on both days on the weekend, which I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, whatever the case may be, but they were going to be getting back-to-back games against the Capitals. A team, as we all know, the Devils have not done well against this season. But the Devils got off to a really good start in this game. And about, I guess you could say about two minutes in, basically, the Devils were able to get themselves a lead when Vanacek, the goaltender for the Capitals, he kind of hesitated. It looked like he was going to pass it to his defenseman on the left. And then he thought better of it. And he tried to pass it to his defenseman on the right, but he whiffed at it. And Merkley was able to get it, and he didn't really even take a shot. He just stuck out his stick, poked it, and it beat Manichek into the net, and the Devils were able to grab a one nothing lead. And I'm really happy that it was Nick Merkley because I had talked about him on the last episode, and I've talked to him about, about him a bunch recently, that he has been a really big spark plug. Every time he comes into the lineup, he seems to make an impact. He's he's right in front of the net. He's creating opportunities. He's done really, really well. And I hope that he continues to get more and more opportunities. And we saw it actually in this game against Boston, where he was actually on the power play. I think he was on the first, I think he was actually on the first line of the power play, the first wave, basically. So you can see that he's getting more and more opportunities because he's making some really good contributions. And he was able to get himself a goal there, and most importantly, to give the Devils the one nothing lead. But unfortunately, it didn't last long. It's about 90 seconds later, Dmitry Orlov, from the top of the blue line on the left side, he took a shot that was through a little bit of a screen, and it beat Blackwood far side, and the Capitals tied the game at one. The Devils actually did a pretty good job of responding right after that. They, instead of playing back and just allowing the Capitals to get themselves going, they were able to, you know, push the pace again, get shots to the net, and really create some traffic. Unfortunately, they weren't able to get the go-ahead goal at that point, and the period ended with the score one-to-one. And yeah, I mean, it was a good first period, obviously a tough goal to give up. But sometimes those goals are going to happen, especially when your goaltender is screened. And that was about it. But we moved to the second period. And about six minutes in, it was Miles Wood who came down the right side and took the shot from a really, really tough angle that somehow got past Vanacek and into the net. Vanacek was actually, you know, squeezing on to the left post there. So there really wasn't any room. And my only guess is that it must have squeezed a little bit under his arm and then dropped in. However you want to look at it, the Devils scored. And Miles Wood got his 10th goal of the year, which makes him the first and still only player on the Devils to get to double digits in goals. And, I mean, let's be honest, folks. Most of you who listen to these episodes, and and, and most of you guys, I'm sure, would agree that if, if you were to be told or if you were to tell me that Miles Wood, even halfway through this season, would be the team's leading goal scorer, I would be on one side pleasantly surprised because that means, oh, Miles Wood must be improving. On the other hand, considering some of the other talents that we have, Nico, Jack Hughes, Jesper Bratt, Gusev, you know, all these different guys, I would be kind of concerned to say, well, why are they, you know, leading it? Or why is it, you know, why is it only Miles Wood that has 10 goals on the season? But Miles Wood really has done a very, very good job this year. I mean, to me personally, this has been his best season since he got into the NHL. And look, I've been very critical of Miles Wood in years past, 
because of, you know, the fact that he has tremendous speed and he could be such an emotional boost and he's very physical and he likes to get into those dirty areas and drive the net, but he needed to work on his hands and have a better job of controlling the puck. And I'm seeing that this year. And it's just really a great thing to see. I'm really happy that he's improved so much this year and he's kind of taken his game to that next level. That really is a pleasant thing to see. And Obviously, he got rewarded with his 10th goal of the year. And most importantly, the Devils regained the lead at 2-1. to one. But again, once again, it didn't last long. As about 90 seconds after the Wood goal, Moltz had turned over the puck in the offensive zone or in the de- defensive zone, excuse me. And it was eventually taken away by the Capitals. And who else but Alexander Ovechkin standing literally right in his wheelhouse got a beautiful pass took the one-time shot and buried it and tied the game at two. And you could see the frustration on Moltsev because, you know, he's a young player and he's going to make mistakes. And unfortunately, that type of mistake led to the Capitals once again tying the game. The Capitals, unfortunately, would continue to dictate the pace of the rest of that period. And they were able to grab a lead as Kuznetsov got the puck on a rebound from an Ovechkin slap shot where Honestly, Ovechkin wasn't looking to score on that play. He was looking more for a, you know, a rebound chance for another person because he had, I think he had Connor Sherry or somebody, it might've been uh, Jacob Verona. It was somebody skating, you know, towards the net looking for a rebound. And then you had Kuznetsov trailing behind and Ovechkin took the shot. Blackwood made the save and it went over the first capital stick And there was a little bit of a scramble in front of the net, but Kuznetsov got the puck. And instead of shooting it right away, he waited, skated around the pile and took a shot that hit off of Blackwood and into the net, somewhat similar to the Miles Wood goal. But there was actually somewhat of a screen from, I believe it was Nick Backstrom that was standing in front. There was no goalie interference. It was a clean goal. And Blackwood was almost able to get over in time to make the save. But unfortunately, he was not able to get it cleanly, and it went into the back of the net. And that's where the score stood after two periods, three to two capitals. So at this point, it's been a very frustrating situation because twice the Devils had the lead, and it took them less than two minutes to allow the Capitals to tie the game. And then we go to the third period, and this is where things got really, really intense. And I'm going to have a rant at the end of this, you know, play-by-play of this of this entire game. But it started with Moltsev had a wide open net. I believe it was Nick Merkley who took a shot or he kind of just like softly took a shot that went through the legs of Vanacek, but not into the net. It went to the left side of the net. And there's Moltsev skating hard to the puck and took a shot that went high and wide of the net. Now, some people will say that uh, the defenseman got over there and time was able to redirect a little bit. Whatever the case may be, it was such a frustrating thing. And you could see Moltsev, he put both of his hands in his face. He could not believe that he did not score there, especially when you look at the fact that, like I mentioned, he had given up the tying goal, the second tying goal, on a turnover. And this was his opportunity to redeem himself and tie the game, but he was denied or he denied himself and the Devils continued to trail in this game. But they would finally tie the game on a one-time slapper by Jesper Brett with about nine minutes to go in the game to tie the game at three. And for Jesper Brett, that moved his point streak, I believe, to at that time six games. So he's starting to get going here. And we know he got off to a late start because of quarantine and having to get a work visa and things like that. And he got off to a slow start even when he got into the lineup. But it's nice to see him starting to make more contributions and really creating more opportunities for himself. But once again, for the third freaking time in this game, it wouldn't last long as Evgeny Kuznetsov would score on a tip in front about a minute or so after the Brack goal, Kuznetsov getting his second, and the Capitals regain the lead 
at four to three. And even though the Devils would get a couple more opportunities, a flurry of chances in the last minute of the third, they were not able to tie the game again and fell in this one, a tough one, four to three against the Capitals. However, I am not done because there were two situations in this freaking game that resulted in the Devils. I wouldn't necessarily say getting screwed, but basically costing them a chance to maybe have more opportunities to tie this game, if that makes if that makes sense. But I want to start with this. I'm sure you guys are aware that this past week, referee Tim Peel was caught in a hot mic, basically saying that he was going he should he was going to give a penalty to the Predators, or I, I don't remember exactly who he said it was. He, he dropped an F-bomb in it. Well, he basically just said what we have all assumed for many, many years is that these refs, you know, at times have acts to grind and they call certain penalties to kind of, you know, make the game go the way that it, they want it to go or that they're told to, uh, to have it go, whatever the case may be. And as a result of that Tim Peel hot mic, the NHL dismissed uh, Tim Peel and told him he was no longer allowed to referee games in the NHL. I don't know if he was necessarily banned, um, but the thing that was kind of crazy was that Peel was actually going to retire at the end of the season. And I don't know if this is going to affect his pension, but certainly not the best way you want to go out. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, the situation with Tim Peel happened about two, three days prior, actually two days prior to the Devils' first game against the Capitals. So it was still pretty fresh in everybody's mind. And there were two situations in this game that really kind of made you wonder to yourself a little bit that if what happened to Tim Peel was still affecting a lot of these refs. Because in the first period with about five minutes to go, the Devils were on a power play. Miles Wood was behind the net. And he blatantly got hit in the face with a high stick and was bleeding. It should have been another penalty and it should have been a four minute double minor. The refs completely missed it or just chose not to call it, which I'm going to take the latter on this situation. And as a result, there was no penalty call in that one. Then you go late or a little bit more than halfway through the third period. Travis Zajac gets blatantly sticked in the face while he has the puck taking it into the offensive zone and goes down. And the reps who all saw it happen with their own two eyes called nothing. And he's sitting there on the ice, bleeding from his mouth. And that is a second missed high sticking penalty. That right there, considering both guys were bleeding, that is eight penalty minutes that was taken away from the Devils. And I do wonder, I know the Devils power play is atrocious for the most part, but I do wonder what the situation or how this game would have gone had those penalties been called. And the Tim Peel situation, in my opinion, had a major effect on this whole situation that we just saw. It had a massive impact. The referees all of a sudden are scared to make any calls because they're worried of scrutiny. But when it's that blatantly freaking obvious that two guys, not one, two different guys get so obviously sticked in the mouth and are bleeding and you see it in plain sight and you choose not to call it, makes it even worse than what Tim Peel did. Because at least Tim Peel admitted on a hot mic, uh, obviously he didn't, he didn't know he was on a hot mic, but he at least admitted that he was going to make a call on somebody regardless of the situation. These reps just chose straight up to not call anything in that situation. And that to me was a joke. And I'm not going to sit here and say that it cost the Devils the game because there were plenty of other situations in this game that cost the Devils this one. But I often have wondered the last 24, 48 hours, what would have happened if the Devils had gotten both of those opportunities? I think, honestly, the Devils would have been able to at least force overtime and gotten at least a point. That, to me, is my opinion on that. But again, the NHL with one of the millions of times they completely just crap the bed on officiating. And that's where I'm going to leave it. But I'm telling you this right now. This is not the last of this because just a couple of days later, 
There was some more BS with refereeing. We'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. But now we're going to shift to the Devils game against the Capitals on Friday, the very next day. So this was going to be tough for the Devils because it's the second of a back-to-back. The Capitals went into that game on Thursday having not played for five days, and it took them about a period to get their legs under them, and now they're ready to go. And I'm really not going to spend a lot of time on this game, folks, because this was a really bad game for the Devils. Not much went well at all. They ended up losing 4 nothing, and it was the first time all season that the Devils had been held scoreless. They had gone into the game being one of only four teams at this point to have yet to be shut out in a game. It took them 32 games to do so, which you honestly have to look at that and say, that's pretty damn impressive for a team that has had a lot of struggles this year and, and had some situations where they even only scored one goal for them to go more than half of this season. I mean, you're thinking, you think about it. It's a 52 game season. It took them until there was only 20 games left in a year for them to finally not, you know, score a goal in a game. And that is really impressive, and that shows that this team continues to be competitive. But really, it was a just a terrible game from everybody, and particularly for Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes saw only 11 minutes or so of the, or I, I mean, basically 11 minutes, I think, of the game. He got benched, and I don't think a lot of people realized that he got benched in that one until after the game, because Jack Hughes was exposed more than I've ever seen him get exposed in that game. He was caught out of position so many times. He got beat twice by Ovechkin when he was having to try to, you know, stay on him. And he just made a lot of mistakes. He looked very lost, and it was a very concerning thing. And we're going to talk about Jack Hughes a little bit more later on in this episode. But, yeah, he had – I would say, honestly, that was Jack Hughes' worst game of his career. Um but luckily, again, he's only 19 and it's still very early in his career. And because we're, you know, the team in general as a whole is trying to learn, this was a learning lesson for him. Now, let's shift to, like I said, I'm recording this on Sunday the 28th. Let's talk about tonight's game against the Boston Bruins. Um, really quick, though, before I jump into that. Uh, with that loss that the Devils suffered to, to the Capitals on Friday, the Devils have now moved to 0-4-1 against the Capitals this season. I am so tired of playing Washington because they have our number and we just cannot find a way to win any of these games. And I know if you go back to the first game when we were up 2-0 um, and we proceeded to blow that lead, I often wonder if we had won that game, would this record be a lot different i mean it would be different because we'd have at least one win but how much different would it be this is kind of something i wonder but anyway let's get back to this game against the bruins and so obviously the devils were coming into this game knowing that they have had boston's number very similar to washington having our number the devils are coming in 3-0-1 against boston they've even shut out the bruins in boston behind Scott Wedgwood. So clearly the Devils looked at this game as an opportunity to gain some confidence. It also didn't hurt them necessarily that, you know, Marchand and Tuka Rask and a bunch of other guys, particularly on the defensive side for Boston, were not going to be playing in this game. So this was a very depleted and very, not very weak, but a certainly weaker Boston Bruins team that the Devils were facing. This was also the first time the Devils were facing the Bruins with fans since Boston starting allowing some fans back in the building, which is great. And that shows progress in our society, but the devils got off to a really good start in this period, specifically uh, Igor Sharangovich. Um, Yegor has just, he has this knack every game, especially because he gets usually one of the starting opportunities right away where he just doesn't hesitate. He constantly takes shots. There was one situation where the Devils were changing, but Sharon Govich stayed on the ice. I believe it was Votnin that gave him a pass. And Sharon Govich, instead of just getting the puck and dumping it, he took it into the zone and took a shot that Halak had to make a save on. And he did that two or three other times. And I love that. I love that Sharon Govich is just not afraid to shoot it from no matter where he is. And he's making plays. And as long as he continues to do that with his ability, the goals are going to are going to start coming in bunches and he's going to continue to be a massive problem more and more for opponents. And that's something that's great to see. 
But like I said, the Devils got off to a really good start. And pretty much for that first period, they dominated. They were much better. The Bruins were on their heels. They weren't really getting a whole lot. It wasn't until probably two or three minutes to go in the first um, where the Bruins started to actually get some things going. But before that, the Devils would finally break the scoreless tie when Kyle Palmieri got a nice deflection off a Ty Smith shot into the back of the net, and the Devils grabbed a one nothing lead. It was a very nice tip, and to be honest with you, I didn't really see the puck go in. And it was funny because just seconds prior to that shot, I was like freaking out about Brat because Brat made a back pass to Smith, and I was like, no, Brat, you got to shoot that. And then, of course, Smith scores, and well, not Smith, Smith takes the shot, Palmieri tips it, and they score. And I just stood there and I go, Shut up, Neil. You clearly do not know what you're talking about. Jesper Brett knows what he's doing. I mean, that was kind of like the whole up and down situation in a matter of seconds. And here's something interesting about Kyle Palmieri. And the guys on NBCSN were talking about it. It was uh, Brendan Burke, who we had the pleasure of having on here on the Devil's State of Mind podcast. And if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and check that one out. I would greatly appreciate it. It was a great interview. But we had Brendan Burke and Pierre Maguire on the call. And they actually mentioned this, and I didn't even realize it until I went on social media, that Kyle Palmieri has four goals and five points against the Boston Bruins this season. He has just three goals and 11 points versus everybody else. So he clearly loves playing against the Boston Bruins. And obviously we're hearing the rumors about him getting traded at the deadline and hearing the Bruins are going to be one of those teams heavily interested. And I'm sure the Bruins are going to look at this game in particular and go, well, if he really enjoys scoring against us, maybe he'll enjoy scoring for us. And I know this sounds kind of ridiculous, but I kind of said it out loud. I said, look, if the Bruins are not offering uh, Jacob DeBrusque and at least the second round pick, they can go screw because Kyle Palmieri is a 30 goal scorer. And last year, if the season wasn't put on pause and eventually ended for the Devils, Kyle Palmieri would, would have ended up getting 30 goals. He had 25 goals in 62, 63 games. He would have eclipsed 30 goals. He probably would have finished with the most goals of his career. And it would have been the second time in his Devils career that he got 30 goals. He's at least a 25 to 30 goal scorer per year. And I know that this has been a down year for Kyle Palmieri. It's been a down year for most of the NHL, but he's still a productive player. He is an unrestricted free agent. And I mean, it's just, he's worth a, a bunch, honestly. I know that the Devils may not get exactly what he's worth, but I'm just telling you how much he's worth, in my opinion. That, that's just the way I look at it. But anyway, the Devils grabbed the one nothing lead and Talking about Ty Smith, who got the primary assist on that goal, he now leads all rookies in assists with 17 as he passes Kirill the Thrill Kaprizov from the Minnesota Wild, and he's also third in points for rookies, tying him with Ottawa's Tim Stutzla, and that really is an impressive thing, and I remember tweeting out to both the Soda Pod and Sensauer, I said, hey guys, Ty Smith is coming, and what's funny is that they just showed uh, prior to that goal, they showed the Vegas odds for Ty Smith to win the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. And I think it was like plus 650. I believe that was the odds for him. And I remember he, saying to myself, like, oh, Smith just saw those odds. And he said, I bet. And then he ended up getting a point there. I mean, if Ty Smith continues to put up some points and really start grooving, he could really put himself in a position where he could really find a way to maybe even steal the Calder Trophy from Kirill Kaprizov, but Kaprizov has just been phenomenal for Minnesota, and I wouldn't be miffed if he ended up winning the Calder Trophy. He has been phenomenal, but I do think that Ty Smith is going to at least finish in the top three because he has been absolutely tremendous in his rookie year for the Devils, and it just goes to show that the Devils really look like they made the right choice to have him play in juniors for as long as they did until his eligibility was basically up, and now he's fully groomed as a defenseman. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. If he's going to play like this throughout his career, he's going to eventually be able to put himself in a position to win a Norris Trophy as the top defenseman in the NHL. I mean, we have found our franchise defenseman. There is no question about it. Ty Dallas-Smith, as P.K. Subban calls him, he has really been grooving of late. 
and it's really just tremendous to see. And the Devils were able to hold on to that lead after one going into the locker room up one nothing. The second period, I would say, was probably out of the three periods, the least, not entertaining, but the least um, action-packed. Uh, the, the biggest thing for the Devils was that Merkley had an open net, and he hit the post. It wasn't like he just completely missed that. He just hit the post. And I mentioned it on Twitter. That was the second time in three games where we had a wide open net and we couldn't score. It was Maltzev the first time off a Merkley shot. And this time it was Merkley off his own shot, just hitting the post. And you kind of look at this game and you wonder, wouldn't it have been great if we had scored there considering how the game actually ended? And Mackenzie Blackwood continued to play really, really strong in the net. The Bruins started to come on slowly but surely, especially late in that period when they got a power play off a weak call on P.K. Subban. It really was weak, honestly. They called a trip, and I really didn't see the trip. I could see where they may have called, they could have called a slash, but a trip was kind of an iffy call, in my opinion. But the Devils ended up not giving up a goal there, and they went into the locker room after two periods, up one nothing. And I remember saying to uh, one of the guys I was watching the game with, I said, this third period is going to be so intense because the Devils, we've seen them for years. They're going to play back, play their penalty kill style of play in the third, just back off and not be as aggressive as they were in the first and somewhat in the second period. And that's basically what happened because the Devils pretty much for the most of the third period played that, played it like they were on the penalty kill. And this is where things got really kind of out of hand. It got really intense and crazy. It started with Yanni Kwokinen got a four-minute double minor high-sticking penalty about five minutes in. And this is where I flipped my goddamn lid because here's the thing. I am not against calling that penalty. It was a high stick. You know, McAvoy was bleeding from his mouth. It is the right call. I am not against it. But when you just went through... Two games ago, where not one, but two damn players on your own team got blatantly sticked in the mouth, and it wasn't called, is a joke. But you give the Bruins this one. That, to me, shows you the inconsistency and the stupidity that is the rule book and the NHL referees. And this is where it's ridiculous. When you're not a good team, you don't get these calls. And the NHL looks at the Devils and say, oh, they're the Devils. They play in New Jersey. They suck. They always suck. They pick up on the social cues. And this is what you get. And this was the thing that pissed off not only myself, but every Devils fan who watched this game, because we all know that we saw two blatant missed calls on high sticking against the Capitals several days prior, but we get called for this one. Oh, and here's, that wasn't even the best part. Here was the thing. There was not a call right away against Yanni Kwokinen. It happened. There was a play for a couple of seconds and then the referee blew the whistle because McAvoy was on, was on his knees holding his mouth. The referees came together, talked about it, actually went and discussed it for several minutes, and then decided to call the penalty, which is ridiculous. How are you allowed to do that? I've never seen that before. How are they allowed to all of a sudden decide, oh, well, none of us saw it, but considering McAvoy is bleeding from his mouth, we got to call it. And that's what they did. And I loved that Lindy Ruff got pissed off because I'm sure he was thinking the same thing. I'm sure everybody on the Devils was thinking the same thing in that situation. They said, you know, just two or three days ago, we got screwed twice in that same situation. And now you're just completely going against that and calling us for a penalty. And at that moment, I was like, well, I think the Bruins are going to at least tie the game maybe grab the lead. And for literally the entire four minutes, the Devils could not get the puck out. I think they made it clear once, but they just, there were several guys like Janssen and Sammy Votnin who were on the ice for two and a half, three minutes straight, just trying. And they had three or four opportunities to just clear it and they couldn't do it. And I don't get why we're so bad at just clearing the freaking puck. I don't get why it's this damn complicated. It's so frustrating. But Mackenzie Blackwood, 
Mackenzie Blackwood, more like it, made some great saves to deny the Bruins of them tying the game. And it was just crazy. And we got through the four minutes without giving up a goal. We still lead the game. Then let's go to the last 100 seconds, a minute 42 to be exact. The first situation that we have is this one. The Bruins shoot the puck. I believe it was David Krejci at first. He took the shot and Blackwood has it, but he's being literally pushed into the net by David Krejci. And eventually Patrice Bergeron knocks the puck into the net and the refs call it a goal. And I'm losing it because this was a situation that I remember from game three of the 2012 Stanley Cup finals when Berdura had the puck. They continued to whack at it for about 10 seconds with the ref not blowing the whistle. And by the time anybody realizes it, the puck is in the net, the ref calls it a goal. And that's just that. And the Devils just never got themselves a fair shake in that situation. And this was the same thing. That's exactly what I thought about in this situation. And I was like, this is really how it's going to end. Like, this is really going to, really going to be. And Lenny Ruff made the best decision of the night. He decided to challenge the goal for goalie interference. And at first, everybody was like, well, I don't really see any goalie interference. I don't see it at all. And they kept saying that literally the entire time that the referees were looking at this, this goal, this penalty, this uh, the possible penalty. And I kept saying, dude, Krejci is pushing Blackwood into the net. You can see it. It is freaking obvious. And eventually the reps come out and I'm like, go ahead. And I was already mentally prepared for them to say it was a goal. We have to go on the penalty kill. We're going to give up a goal on the penalty kill and we're going to lose this game in regulation two to one. Like that was literally how, because I had seen this situation so many times, but the ref came out and he said, no goal. And I couldn't believe it because we don't get these calls. We just don't get these calls. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And the ref said no goal. And it was like, holy crap. And we're still winning this game. But obviously the game's not over because we still have 90 seconds or so to kill to try to win this one. And the Bruins obviously pulled their goalie. So we're hoping that maybe by the grace of God, we can get one of those rare empty net goals that we never get. And it was just so intense, so intense. And it just every second that went off, it was crazy. And then we had a situation where a Bruins player, I believe it might've been Nick Ritchie who deflected it. And the puck appeared, appeared to have beaten Blackwood, but was knocked out by Blackwood's right leg pad and out. And the Devils were able to get it, but the whistle stopped with one second left on an icing. Devils were able to clear it, and it was so frustrating. But then the refs go back to the video review to see if this puck fully crossed the line. And at first, when they showed the replay, I got to be honest with you. I really didn't know it was if it was in or not. At the first glance from not the above angle, but the other angle, it looked like crap. This puck is in the net. This puck is completely cross line. But if you go to look at the overhead and they zoomed in on it, they zoomed in on it. The puck did not completely cross the line. And I kept saying that over and over again, that that puck is not fully over the line. And if that's the case, it's not a goal. And it took a little while. But eventually, they came out and they said, once again, no goal. And that was the right call. And all the Bruins fans were booing and cussing and saying, oh, we got screwed. We got screwed. You know what? Here's the thing, Boston. You're in fourth place in the division. You're probably going to make the playoffs. Chill out. Okay? You're playing the Devils. You're playing a team that literally we have no shot. Well, not really, but we, we don't have a good shot of making the playoffs. So we're a rebuilding team. You've gotten these calls for years. Let us have one of these for once. But Blackwood made the save of the game. The save of the game. He just unbelievable to get his right leg pad out just in time. Because if even he was a split second late, that puck is over the line and the game is tied with one second left. And eventually after another five, 10 minutes, 
They finally dropped the puck. The Bruins won the faceoff, but could never get a shot off. And the horns sound, and the Devils win in Boston one to nothing in a thrilling game. And I will tell you guys, that was the most exhilarating victory of the entire season. I am just so pumped to see the Devils win a game like that. For Mackenzie Blackwood, it was his first shutout of the season, which is kind of crazy if you really think about it. The Devils are now 4-0-1 against the Boston Bruins, which now guarantees that the Devils are going to finish above 500 against Boston. We have two more games left against them, one at home, I believe, and then another um, on the road. And the Devils on Tuesday are playing the Boston Bruins again. So we have a chance to find a way to win all of the games in Boston if we can. And you know the Bruins are going to come out pissed off in that game on Tuesday night in Boston. And the Devils got to be prepared to have a much better game, particularly offensively, if they want to put themselves in a position to win that game. But it was a massive victory for the Devils. And here's another crazy thing. The Bruins have scored only five times this entire season against the Devils. None of those goals were an even strength. The Devils have not given up an even strength goal to the Boston Bruins in the five games that they played this season. And it's really just to answer the question, because everybody's going to be wondering, how the hell is this possible? To me, it's just about matchups. Because we look, we're inconsistent against Buffalo. We're really bad against Washington. We're up and down against the Rangers and the Islanders. And we... I mean, I guess we're kind of up and down against the Penguins. But when we play Boston, man, we just got things rolling. And it's the second game against Boston in a row where we got completely outshot. The shots were 40 to 29 in favor of Boston. I mean, we just found a way to win that game. Mackenzie Blackwood in particular found a way to win that game. And that was a huge one nonetheless. And I'm so pumped. And like I said, the Devils will be finishing their five-game road trip on Tuesday against the Boston Bruins. And if you look at this road trip the Devils have had, they are now 3-2-0. and oh. So with this win, they've guaranteed that they're going to finish this road trip at a 500 record. But if they do find a way to win on Tuesday, which I hope they do, the Devils will finish this road trip with a above 500 record, which would be fantastic i mean if they lose in overtime shootout they'll still finish with an above 500 record but i'd rather see them win than just get a point and that will be the end of march which is kind of a crazy thing i mean we are we are steadily approaching the end of the season and we're steadily approaching the trade deadline as well which is something to keep in mind oh and the nhl announced today that uh the season is going to be extended to, I believe, March 19th, uh, May 19th. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, the Devils still have a couple more games to play in May. They have one, two, three, four, five, six. They have six games to play in May because obviously they got to make up some games that they couldn't uh, play when they were off for 16 days back with the pandemic. But like I said, a big time victory for the guys in black and red. And we'll see how they respond, how the Bruins respond on Tuesday and how the Devils will respond on Tuesday. Now, before I get to the Binghamton Devils update, I wanted to quickly talk about Jack Hughes because he has been the topic of discussion for a lot of us the last, I would say, probably two, three games, but I would say it's been a lot more obvious of late. Jack Hughes has now gone six straight games, including tonight against Boston, without registering a point. The last point he got was a goal and the sixth back on the 18th of March against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He has really, not only has he struggled to score and get points, but he has made a lot of really bad decisions in certain moments. That game against Washington, like I mentioned, he got absolutely exposed um, many a times, many a times in that game. And he got benched for the first time in his career. And a lot of people, and I agree, he deserved to be benched considering how he was playing. But I do wanted to talk about this a little bit to kind of give you guys my answer. Because 
some of you on social media have been asking me of late. They said, you know, what exactly is going on with Jack Hughes? What, what's the problem? Like, what's the situation with him? Or what do you think? And I'm going to answer it here. I answered a couple of times on social media. You could probably find it, but I'll answer it here. There's a couple of things. Number one, I personally believe he's still, he is still dealing with the effects of COVID-19. He got COVID or he was on the COVID list, which doesn't necessarily mean he got it, but considering that it was that many people on the list, I think there's a good chance. And look, not everybody said publicly that they were exposed to it, but I think that everybody dealt with it in a different way. And maybe Jack Hughes is dealing with this. I'm not saying that this is a guarantee. You know, I'm not, I'm saying that this is a possibility. He could still be dealing with the effects, the after effects of COVID-19. Like a lot of professional athletes have come out and said, number two, Nico Hishio, our captain, has played in just five games all season, okay? He has played in all of five games this season, and he has not played. If you Remember, it's been a long time. He has not played since February 27th. We have literally now just reached over a month since the last time Nico Hishio has played, and even though his three weeks are approaching the end, there's no guarantee that he is going to be coming back anytime soon. He could very well be done for the year. We do not know. But for Jack Hughes being one of the two number one overall picks, I think he's feeling some of the pressure to have to be that number one pick and to showcase what he can do and be the franchise savior and all these things. And to me, he's just overthinking things and doing too much and putting such a burden on himself as a 19-year-old. And as a result, like I said, he's just overthinking, overdoing everything. And I think that's just what it is. I think that's, I think that's more of a definitive idea as to what's going on. And we know Jack Hughes is talented. He had a couple chances against the Bruins tonight where he could have gotten a point, gotten a goal, whatever the case may be. But to me, that's just what I think the situation is with Jack Hughes. I think eventually he'll get out of it. And look, here's the other thing. We have a lot of talent coming through the system over the next two or three years. We have to see what Jack Hughes can be when the team is fully where it needs to be and grow. Tom Fitzgerald said the team is going to go as far as Jack Hughes and Nico Heeshear, and he's building this team to support them as much as possible. And Jack Hughes has had an up and down year. He had a couple stretches where he was on fire and now he's kind of, you know, he's been struggling of late. Like I said, six games in a row without registering a point, but I think it will eventually, you know, move on. And again, we're playing such a weird year, 52 games playing basically every other night, playing four or five games a week. You know, your team dealt with COVID. I mean, your captain's gone. You're not at full strength. I mean, you're a young team. There's so many adversity things you have to go through. And I'm just, I'm looking at it like, here's, you know, let's see what happens in a full season when everybody's here and everybody's ready to go. Because we've only had five games really this year where everybody was intact and nobody was hurt. Nobody was on COVID, the COVID list, nothing like that. There was nothing like that. So let's just give it some time. But that to me is kind of like what, some of the reasons why I think Jack Hughes has really struggled of late. And let's just give it time. He is, as we mentioned, still only 19 years of age. He's got a lot of time left to develop here. And let's just, let's just try to be a little bit more patient with him. But it will come. It will come. Now, to quickly wrap up this edition of the Devil State of Mind podcast, I'll give you guys a Binghamton Devils update. The Binghamton Devils unfortunately lost back-to-back games this past week to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, the Philadelphia Flyers, um, AHL affiliate. They lost 3-2 to two in the first game and then 6-3. to three. They will be playing at home versus the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Penguins on Wednesday, and then they will play on Saturday against the Hershey Bears. Graham Clark, is, his point streak is unfortunately over, but he's continuing to play very well. And that's the that's pretty much the update. Not a whole lot, but... That's just where we are with that. What's going on, Devils fans? It's your host, Neil Villapiano. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast on the Hockey 
Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. If you want to check out more of the podcast, here's what you do. You go wherever you listen to podcasts, so that could be Spotify, that could be iTunes, that could be Google Podcasts, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, you go and you search Devil's State of Mind, and you will find the new episodes that we post every week on both Mondays and Thursdays. Please also go check out the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole. We have podcasts for all the teams in the NHL, as well as other great hockey podcasts. So just like with Devil's State of Mind, just search Hockey Podcast Network, and you can see all the podcasts that we have on this great network. You can follow the Devil's State of Mind on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil's State, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Devil's State of Mind. Make sure to also follow the Hockey Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Just search at H-O-C-K-E-Y, Hockey, P-O-D, Pod, N-E-T, Net. If you want to listen to more of my voice, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Podcast, where I talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. New episodes go out every Monday and Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Presents channel on YouTube, where just like the podcast, I talk about different topics that are going on in the world of sports as well. New videos go out every single Tuesday on YouTube. So it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents, and you will find it. Again, new videos out every Tuesday. You can stay up to date with all the new episodes and videos by following me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11, and also Mofobo Network on Facebook. And last, but certainly not least, go check out both my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. The first is J-E-T-S, Pain, pain, pain. The agony and the ecstasy, nah, no ecstasy of being a Jets fan. This book is about all the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So from all the painful moves, painful games, painful player decisions, painful ownership decisions, you know, where, you know anything you could think of, it's in this book. So this is really for the Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know some one of those, or if you just want to support me, go check out that book. The other book that I just published recently is titled Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. This one is all about the regrets of being a Mets fan. And even through world championships in 1969 and 1986, there was so much regret between those years, between those years, as well as the years following 1986. Both of these books are available for both hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. So if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan, or by some chance you're both, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So again, please go check out both of those books. The first one, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Pain and Suffering of Being a New York Jets Fan, and also Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. So once again, thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the amazing people that you are you know, every single day, you know, always remember to just be yourself and continue to kick absolute butt. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!